0: 1st King, chapter 17, verses 8 to 16. Uh, We started last week a new series through a character named Elijah. Elijah, whose name means, my God is Yahweh. He's like this PK with very obvious PK name, right? Everyone knows who he is. Is my God is Yahweh, and perhaps the greatest prophet that we know, right? Throughout, there are many prophets, some good, some bad, but Elijah is well. Elijah is very, very famous throughout the scripture. He's a towering figure both in Old Testament and even New Testament. God, Jesus mentions Elijah over and over again during his time on earth. And his legacy spans across centuries, yet when we take closer look at Elijah's life in 1 Kings 17, 18, 19, which we're going to be doing for the next several weeks, we'll see, despite his amazing experience and calling, Elijah, the book of James, in the New Testament, James says, Elijah was a man with nature like ours. What James is saying is, Elijah, even though he's this great, mighty prophet of God, he's human. You cut him, he will bleed. But he's a man with emotions, ups and down. All good, don't worry. We got, we got kids here, don't worry. Uh, ups and downs of life. His highs were really high. We'll see next week in this battle, with these prophets, he's gonna his his highs gonna be really high, but his lows are even are, are really low. There's a time, in his story, will get there. He's he's gonna say, "Lord, just take my life. I want to die. I have nothing to live for." And this man Elijah was called by God to serve. If you were not here last week, let me just catch us up quick context of where he enters the biblical story. He was called by God during a pivotal time in history of Israel when Israel was split into two kingdoms, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, northern kingdom was called Israel, very confusing, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. But Elijah was called to minister to the northern kingdom at a time of political infighting, idolatry, Uh, really the nation Israel, the northern kingdom, both North and south, they didn't didn't do very well, if you read the Bible. But really, the northern kingdom was going from, things were going from bad to worse. And that this really evil king named King Ahab, who Elijah confronted last week. We were in chapter 1 last week, chapter 17, verses 1 to 7, and we talked about Elijah confronts this evil king, Ahab, with a message saying, God has seen enough. No more rain until I pray again. And immediately after... That message, as drought and famine begins to settle in the land, Elijah gets another message from God. And the message is, Elijah, you got to run. This, this man Ahab and his, and his wife, they, they made their name getting rid of prophets. So Elijah has to run to the middle of nowhere, s- some brook named Cherith in the middle of the desert. And, and we talked about this idea of there are times God will call you and I to places that we may not want to be in in order to strengthen our trust in Him. Right? He doesn't call us to the brooks of life to what? To harm us, to frustrate us, even though it could be frustrating. But in order to give us something that we cannot attain on our own. We're going to be in looking at the rest of the chapter 17, so if you have your Bibles... Chapter 17, 1st Kings chapter 17, let's read verses 7, and we'll do 16, and then we'll come back and read the rest of the chapter later on. Verse 7, this is after Elijah spends his time by the brook waiting for the ravens to deliver him food. If you missed it, there's a lot that we have covered last week. But verse 7, this is after that season. After a while, Elijah was enjoying his time now by the brook, the brook that was giving him water dried up because there was no rain in the land, like Elijah prayed. Verse 9, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Ravens to widow. Is it better? Maybe not. We'll see. Verse 10, So he rose and went to Jarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her, called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Next. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her, said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Verse 13, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward make something for yourself and your son. What's wrong with this guy? She's like, I'm about to die. He's like, well, before you die, give me some, right? Next. Verse 14, For thus says the Lord. Now Elijah has a point, right? Elijah has received the word from the Lord. The God of Israel said the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as as Elijah did and she and he and her household ate for many days for the jar of flour was, was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of Yahweh that he spoke by Elijah interesting story it gets more interesting as Elijah's life for for one thing Elijah's life is not lack of drama right you could make movies about this guy and you'll make lots of money um verses seven to nine we're just gonna walk through the story the drought and the famine was throughout the region right just as Elijah prayed he's also part of God's judgment against God's people and Elijah's own brook begin to dry up right and just imagine being Elijah. Put yourself in his shoes. Elijah was there for many days. And, and, and as God said, ravens came and the brook gave him water. And perhaps he finally settled in. Right? When you move to a new place, you've know, you got to find your space and your sort of flow of life. Maybe, maybe Elijah sort of built his shelter, knew exactly what time these ravens would come. And he liked the water. There was water there, right? And just getting comfortable. But all of a sudden, things began to shift rather quickly. Think about the thoughts that he must have had when he realized, wait, God called me here. And why isn't the brook working anymore? Why isn't this working out anymore? He could have thought, has God forgotten me? Did I take wrong step in coming here after all? I thought I heard God. I thought God told me to go here and he will, there will be provision for me. Right, similar thoughts. Perhaps you are in your season where these thoughts have come to our minds uh, when life quickly shifts in the direction that we did not foresee going, to the direction that we did not foresee When unexpected events, whatever that may be, and, you know, life is full of unexpected events. When these events begin to take shape in our lives, and when things we have once enjoyed is no longer available to us, what's our response? Is it faith? Is it fear? Or is it both? Sometimes there's both. We are fearfully faithful. We're faithfully fearful. One reminder that I think this passage gives us, or, or, or what we see in Elijah, as his season comes to an end at this book that God, has, God had provided for him, is that throughout the scripture, we are, we, we are reminded the giver, who's the giver of life, James, James says, "Give her everything we have, is from the Father above. Giver of life outweighs the gifts that we enjoy. One reminder that we can glean from this beginning of our passage today is that, you know, gifts are awesome. We love gifts, and we love things that God provides for us. Yet throughout our, our season of walking with God, God continues to remind us, at least remind me, hey, don't fall in love with these gifts. Because you could have them now, you might not have them later. But if you're like me, we have tendency, tendency to fall in love with the gifts all the while forgetting the giver, right? When we face seasons of need, right, whether that's finances, whether that's relationally, whether it's something else, those seasons of need, they are wonderful reminders to really for you and I to live our lives with open hands, Everyone open Open your hands. A little awkward, but that's, I think, the one of the lessons that that the scripture reminds us. You see, there will be seasons of drought as we follow Jesus. As you follow Jesus, I don't know how long your journey has been as I follow Jesus in this journey of 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 following him. That sounds redundant, but following him. There there have been seasons of plenty, but there also has been seasons of drought. There'll be times where you won't have as much. Are you you enjoying success? Do you have a lot? Well, enjoy it now, but there will be seasons where you might not have what you have now. The question is, just like Elijah, how will you respond when the brooks of our lives dry up? We said last week, this was one of the things we talked about. The genuineness or the quality of our faith in God is not tested by our life, our mountaintop top experiences. Let me say that again. The genuineness or the quality of our faith in God is not tested by our mountaintop experiences. It's not when we're promoted. It's not when we are living in our dream home or driving our dream cars. It's not when we are in, in great physical health. That's not when our faith is tested. That's not when we know our faith, what we have in Jesus, is actually real. It's of good quality. Our faith is tested when our boss pulls us aside and says, let's have a meeting. Because of budget cuts, we're going to have to let you go. When you go for a regular checkup and the doctor says, you got to come back. We got to test you again. Things are not looking good. When we have we started a business in faith, and because of economy, because of something, it did not go well. So we fell for bankruptcy. I mean, it, it's it's the seasons of drought and challenges is when our when our faith is tested. You know, fifteen years of full time ministry, I, I could tell you, I don't I don't remember much of all the wonderful successes or experiences I've had, but I could I could tell you exactly those lows of, of the loads of following Jesus, those moments of I just did not want to do this anymore or, or move on or do something else. I, I remember those moments because it's through those moments I was able to, uh, I was exposed, whether my faith was real or I was just loving the gifts, the benefits. And verse 7 and 8 tells us it wasn't This is important. I don't think we should miss this, right? Verse 7, if you read the passage. It wasn't as if the brook was drying up. As the brook was drying up, God tells Elijah, hey, you got to do something different because soon the, the, the brook will not provide water. That's not what the scripture says. It's only after the brook was completely dried off, don't miss this, Elijah had to trust God. He had to wait there right not while the brook was drying up but the text tells us clearly the brook had dried up elijah stood there waiting right patiently waiting to hear from god because it's one thing to be like god tells elijah hey in 10 days you're not gonna have any water in 10 days ravens are coming so figure something out no it was like silence Imagine being Elijah, being in the middle of the desert by a brook, day after day having to rely on ravens. We talked about ravens, how unreliable they are as birds. And he would have seen, every day he would have seen the water level lowering each day. It sounded like Elijah didn't know this was happening. Yet we see clearly through the text, Elijah had the wisdom and the patience to wait on God. See, the common temptation, at least for me, whenever I see problem happening or I encounter some kind of challenge in my life, my tendency is to get into problem-solving mode, right? Like, I love solving, uh, naturally, I love action, right? I can't sit still. So, you know, I always get in trouble because Lois, right, my wife, she just wants to share her heart, how she feels, and I... As she shared, I'm just like, all right, we got to do this. Let me give you six plans how to, how to live your successful life. But like, why are you lecturing me? Why? Like, so for Lois, her biggest complaint is, don't give me solutions. Just hear me out. And I just have a hard time. Right? Whenever I sense a problem coming or feel like I need to fix something, I just, I can't sit still, right? I have this problem of wanting to take control and try to fix the situation. And I think this is common for many of us. Right? Whenever we encounter problems like this, if I was Elijah, I'd be like, yo, I got to dig another hole. I got to figure something out about this water situation. I got to tell ravens, carry some, carry some water over here, right? Some kind of problem solving mode. Yet, when we look at scripture, part of maturity in Christ is not always having some type of response to our crisis of life, it is really the ability to wait. You're like, you're preaching to people living in Seoul. We hate waiting. I know waiting is hard, right? There's a wonderful children's book. I used to read Emma all the time. Waiting is hard. Mo Williams. Waiting is hard. I read that book. I'm like, man, yeah, that's me. I can't wait. Yet again, when we look at Scripture, it's the ability to wait. Whenever we face something like Elijah's facing, it's not, let's... Get in, let's solve this problem. Let's jump in and fix this. It's actually, let me wait on the Lord. Because it takes faith to wait. It takes less faith to try to solve the problem yourself, but it takes faith to wait on God. It's the ability to silence all other voices. Because when you run into a problem, right, what we do, we we tell our friends, and everybody and everybody's mom have their advices, right? Like, you should do this. You should do that. You should do, you know. But it's the ability to say, okay, I'm not going to move until God speaks. And you know what's harder? To silence my own voice. To say, let me just sit here. Because God said he's going to provide. Because God said he's going to show up. Why did Israelites create a golden calf to worship? When Moses went? To get the law, right? God was going to give him this commandment for the people to keep. And while Moses was away, people got anxious and said, hey, make us a God so that we can worship. This fellow Moses, he's not coming back. Why did Sarah, Abraham's wife, force her husband to sleep with his, her own maidservant instead of waiting on God? And later, she kicks her out. She's intense. She's, you know, there's so much drama because of that. Because Sarah could not wait. Why did Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, give an unacceptable offering to the Lord, right? When Samuel wasn't coming, what did Saul do? He got nervous. Because people are like, what are you doing? Are you going to lead us? And instead instead of waiting for Samuel, instead of waiting for the provision that God has given him, what does he do? He gives an inappropriate offering to the Lord. So this is a challenge. I believe this is a challenge for many of us, right? If you think about your, your this past week, when was a time when you became really frustrated, upset? Perhaps you were like driving behind a car that wasn't moving quite as fast. Perhaps you were at one of the coffee shops waiting for coffee and the lady took 10 minutes to make you a cup of coffee. Perhaps in your workplace, and you need to get this project done, but you're waiting for your co to get their part done so that you can get this. Whatever it is, we don't like to wait. But we see Elijah. It's not that Elijah didn't know what to do. He was a powerful prophet of God, but he had the wisdom to say, I'm going to wait until God speaks. And so that's, that's one. Uh, verse 9. God tells Elijah, finally, after the brook has dried up and Elijah's just patiently waiting, God speaks once again. He says, get up, go to this, this region of Jarephath, Jarephath, for I have a, prepared a place for you. And as Elijah is, is ready to leave the brook and go into this pagan city, God says, there will be a widow, no longer ravens, there will be a widow that will actually provide for you. The name of the town, Jarephath, so if you read through the story of Elijah, the names of the places that he goes to, they play a significant role. Uh, the, the, the town of Jarephath literally means a place of refinement. An imagery, a place where metals are shaped, reshaped by fire. So we know where Elijah is going and why he's going there. He's going there to be what? To be refined. And, and, and notice Elijah is not sent to some rich merchant who could provide for him. God sends him to a widow. And in that social context, we know widows were probably the, uh, the, the most struggling people group. There are people on welfare. There are people who did not have a representation, male representation, which was important back in those days. Yet God says, you graduated ravens, now time to go to widow. And I'll, pro- I'll, I'll provide for you. So verse 10, as uh, Elijah rose and when, as the Lord told him to do, again, really interesting, no complaints. Elijah does not complain. No protest, right? I would have been like, God, where? I gotta, th- this is not some next door region. It was, a, it was hundreds of miles away in the middle of the desert, and God says, you got to go, and I have prepared a widow for you. I would have been like, no, Lord, I'm not doing this. I'm good. Send ravens. I'll be right here but Elijah simply does what God tells him to do. God's greatest prophet, his best attribute throughout Elijah's story is not that he's this wonderful, powerful prophet with this ability to bring fire down from heaven. Actually, his greatest attribute is none other than his willingness to do what God says. His willingness to say, God, you tell me, I'll follow your direction." Some of you teachers, aren't those your favorite students? Not the smart, not the, you know, the smart one that wants to always make comment or not the creative one. Your favorite students are people that are students that are willing to follow directions. May not, they, may, they may not be the smartest, they may not be most creative, but they hang on every word that comes out of your mouth. And you love that. Right? That's what I think that's something beautiful about Elijah's obedience. And time after time, the biblical stories remind us God is not impressed with our accolades. He's not impressed what we have accomplished, our titles, our career, what your, your IQ, whatever <laughs> that you feel like God is impressed with. If you read throughout uh, the biblical narratives, what we see is God desires that you and I simply obey. Obedience is actually the best attribute that God desires from his people even in the small, mundane, seemingly insignificant areas of life, whatever that is for you. Whatever you think, oh, that's insignificant. Whatever you think, oh, maybe God doesn't care so much about that. Friends, what God desires is that you and I obey in boring, small, mundane ways of life. I told you about my driving. I drive Lois crazy because I am so bad at following directions. And it's not because I don't know the rules. I pretend not to know where when Lois is next to me, but I know the rules. I just, you know, justify. Oh, I, I, I don't want to wait. It doesn't make sense, right? And, and, and I'm convicted that God reminds me, time after time, he's telling me, I don't need you to do great things. I don't need you to do anything but follow my direction. If I tell you to do this, do this. Don't be creative. Don't try to put your input. Don't take shortcuts. Learn to follow my voice. And we know 1 Samuel, a, a, a book that comes a little after, 1 Samuel 15. Um, Samuel approaches King Saul. King Saul's back in the scene. King Saul, God chose him to be the first king of Israel. He had a very successful start, and he wins this amazing battle. And God told him very clearly, do not keep anything that you win from this battle. Make sure you put everything to death, and you do not carry anything into it, because sin might enter into your nation. And King Saul failed to listen to God because he was afraid of people, right? He wanted to, to be seen as this amazing king that could provide for his people and took something that he should not have taken. And king Sam, uh, Prophet Samuel shows up to King Saul and he says, 1 Samuel 15, he says, Saul, I'll tell you, obedience is better than sacrifice. Whatever you think you, you've accrued, whatever you think you could accomplish, God is not impressed that you won this battle. God is not impressed that you are this great general. God is not impressed that you are tall or you're good looking or you're. No, God is God desires for you to just follow him. And in that conversation. When 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 Samuel comes to confront Saul for disobeying God, King Saul, when you read that story. He's. So like ogure, what's ogure? I can't. I don't know what ogure is in English. What is the ogure means? Like he's so like dumbfounded, he's so like surprised, and he's so like I can't ogure. What anyone ogure? What's ogure? Anybody unfair? Like unfair, right? Because he's like Samuel. W- oh, you're talking about th- this when I did this for the Lord. Are you kidding me? This, and Samuel says, no, no, no. So no, no, no. You don't get it. God's not impressed by any of these things, because, yeah, that one small thing that matters to God. And in that passage, verse 10, verse 11, God tells Samuel, right? Side conversation with Samuel. He says, yeah, Saul's done. I regret making him the king, and I'm going to move on, and there'll be a new king in his place. Because that one thing, right? Multiple things, but really, the simple thing of obeying God. So, friends... This is a great reminder. What God desires for you and I is not greatness. Even though that's what the world tells us. Greatness is important, right? Being famous is important. Doing great things for God is important. What the scripture tells us, God is not impressed by what we can achieve. What God desires for you and I is that we are humble enough to recognize the voice of God and obey. Amen? That's it. To be in the small, mundane things, to be, to be obedient. So Elijah makes the long journey, right? Hundreds of miles across the desert. He finally arrives at the city gates of the town that God told him to go. In verse 10, this unnamed widow, we are not given the name of this widow. She shows up gathering sticks. So he calls on her. He says, Look, lady, can you, can you help me? Give me some water. Give me some food. And verse 12, again, her response is heartbreaking, right? And, and she's like, I have nothing baked and only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil for our final meal. And she says, I'm just gathering sticks so I can start a fire. And once we have this meal, me and my son will we'll, we'll die. That's it. There's no greater sense of hopelessness than a mother preparing her final meal with her child, knowing that this is all we got. She's at the end of her robes. She's given up hope. It's not like she's like, we're going to eat this and we're going to try to get a job or we're going to try to do this. She's like, no, I'm going to just die. Life has not been kind to her. Life has not been kind to her at all. And she says, I'm ready to die. In verse 13, Elijah looks at this woman who's filled with great sense of hopelessness. Who's but all ready to die says, do not be afraid. And that's a very well-known phrase we hear throughout Scripture when God speaks, do not be afraid. For thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day of the Lord sends rain upon the rain, upon the land. You see, Elijah stands... If you zoom out and think about what Elijah, the prophet of God, is doing. Elijah stands at the gate of the city that is known as the city of Baal. One thing that the city was known for, they were the epic center of worship of Baalism. This was when Baal, Baalism was thriving. That was their main religion. He stands at the gate of Baalism, at the, at the epic center of this cult following. He stands there and demonstrates Yahweh's authority and power over things which Baal has failed to do. This widow, she was a worshiper of Baal, and she relied on Baal to provide for her and her son. And what Baal has failed to do, Yahweh, Elijah says, my God will do. He's going to provide. And verse 15, it says, so she went and did according to the word of Elijah. This is really interesting, right? This is a major Jewish audience. People that are reading the story is is mostly Jews. And the author tells us it's not covenantal people. It's not some faithful Israelite who obeys God. It's actually this unnamed, non-Jewish, Baal-worshipping, Gentile woman who stands as a model of faith. the most unlikely heroes of Scripture. And she obeys when Israel, the nation Israel, has utterly failed to obey Him. And she stakes everything upon this man's words. She stakes everything, right? This is her last meal, last thing that she could enjoy with her son. And she stakes everything on the sheer word of Yahweh. And imagine being this widow, because it wasn't as though there were suddenly numerous, like 25 bags of flour and, and jars of oil that was given to her. Right? That, that's what we like. If, when we pray, God, would you, like, if we need $10, God, would you give us $100 so we don't have to worry about the next 10 weeks? But instead, for this woman, it was daily drama of going to the jar and the jar, going to her kitchen, the daily experience that Yahweh would provide for her that day. Right? Just like manna, Israelites, it was daily thing. Just like ravens, it was a daily thing. And, and again, friends, this is often how God matures our faith in Him. Right? I remember when I was in seminary, it's now like 16, 17 years ago, first semester, I had to quit. I bought I bought my mom an apartment, right? And I, I did everything I needed to do as, a, as an Asian son. And I, I I cleared out my bank account, and I said, okay, I'm gonna go to seminary, quit my jobs, and I was broke. I was like, I was so broke, I had nothing in my bank account, right? Korea, there's no withdrawal fee, but I literally had nothing in my bank account, and I had people that owe me a lot of money. So you know, I I was gonna like, I was gonna call these people and be like, yo, pay up! I got nothing, right? Uh, but I, I remember that season we're learning in our in our classes about relying on God, and I I felt convicted, right? I, I was I was more pure in my faith. Than maybe back in those days, I was convicted. I felt like Lord was saying, "Hey, tell don't ask anybody, don't ask anybody for money, don't pretend like you got no money." So literally, I I walked everywhere, not because I, people thought I like walking, right? I do not like walking. I don't even walk to my car. Okay, I do not like walking. But I walked everywhere because I literally had nothing in my T money card. I had no money, right? But I remember in that season, right? It's like three, four months of not asking anybody, not pretending like I'm, like, like you know, like you gotta buy me lunch. No, it was like I remember God just providing each day. Someone would be like, "Sangmin, I think you need a meal." me, let's hang out. God told me to give you this money. I'm like, "What?" And I remember that season of daily relying on God, right? That was amazing. I look back like all these years now i'm like spoiled right I, you know like i'm just like i don't want to walk to my car like, it would take a scooter right but i remember in those seasons of trusting god even though that was really difficult and hard experiencing god's daily provision again it was an amazing time of tangibly seeing that God providing for me again and again, because now I don't even, I got a bank account, I have savings, and now I don't even know, right? I question, oh, did God really provide? I knew back then God really provided for me each day so that I could go to school and I could eat and I could provide for myself. So, Friends, there are times God will call you and I to places that we may not want to be in. You know, as as like a 26-year-old, I did not want to be broke, right? It was like scary to be broke. Yet, I remember it's that season God really refined and really tested uh, whether I really truly trusted Him or not. Uh, God takes us to places that we do not want to be in in order to refine the quality of our faith in Him. And again, we do not need to worry about what we will eat. Let me repeat Jesus. Let me quote Jesus because we love Jesus. Do not worry about what you will eat, what you will wear. For what? For God provides. And he says, "What? look at the ravens. We talked about that last week. Let's read verse 17 okay i gotta i gotta go i gotta go it's a little longer today chapter verse 17 and we'll we'll read the rest of the chapter and we'll quickly wrap up our time after this the son so after they were provided for after they survived this uh, poverty verse 17 after this son the son of the woman the mistress of the house became ill And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of a child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is true. Right? What, a, what an ending. What's going on, right? God provides for this family and they survive this, this famine in the land just so that the son will get sick and and die, right? Here's a widow who had acted on Yahweh's promise and had found that he was as good as his word, and then out of nowhere her son gets sick and he dies. What is to make of Yahweh? I mean, she's new to faith. In one sense, if you think about it, there is no problem because God is the creator of life, and he has every right to either give life or take away life. That's the true, true meaning of sovereignty of God. God has, he, is, he, he is sovereign enough to be able to make his own decisions. Yet, here is a bit more complicated because verses 14 and 16, so far in the story, it's a clear indication that Yahweh would provide for her and her child which means his death seems to contradict what God is attempting to do through this story. In this moment of testing, Elijah takes the boy up to his room, lays him down, and really all he can do is cry out himself to say, Lord, would you help him? Would you have mercy on this family? Crying out to God is repeated through this text. And really, it's again God humbling Elijah once again. And it seems to be a repeating pattern for Elijah's life. Right? When, just about when things get, seem to get good, he's tested again, right? Broke, tested. Provided with food, tested again. And, and verse 22, the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again. The story of the widow will not end in despair. The chapter concludes with an emphatic statement, actually. What's the statement? If we zoom out and look at the story, here's a prophet prophet of Yahweh standing in the city of Baal saying what Baal could not do, Yahweh will do. Yahweh will bring this boy back to life and this boy will not die. And really, th- at the end, verse 24, the way the chapter comes to an end is this widow's confession and she says, Now I know that you are a man of God, that the word of Yahweh in your mouth is reliable. Right? This is amazing sort of I'm fast-forwarding because I'm, I'm, it's, four, it's 2.43. It's a, lot, a lot of time has passed. Uh, but let me conclude with this recognition. Here in the story, God sends his prophet to a foreign pagan city and when the good, with the good news of great joy to a widow who are at the end of her ropes. And through this prophet, God provides not only bread and and oil, but she encounters God who is even able to undo death. Friends, we know someone else who was sent by God, sent into a world that was utterly broken and lost, like this city, the one who humbled himself, becoming like us in flesh and blood. blood. We know this person. And this person, Jesus, lived a life that we could not live. He died the death that you and I deserved. Defeating death once and for all. And the conclusion of 1 Kings 17 is a small glimpse of the greater thing that will come or that has come through Jesus. That's what the author is trying to show us through these stories. And in the end, there will be a resurrection unlike this boy. Resurrection, that will be the climax of of this story so when I, whatever you may be facing this morning, whatever challenges that you're, you've encountered this week, the challenge you'll encounter next week, whether you are like Elijah, seasoned believer, being tested over and over again, or whether you're like this widow, new believer, or whether you're like the son who has given a second chance at life, one thing that connects all of their stories in our text is the unceasing grace of God. And and I hope this is an encouragement to you as you're facing your brooks and your challenges to remind you, despite what I'm facing, where I've been, where I'm going, I can trust this God of Yahweh in my brook, in this city of pagans, wherever you are. I hope this story reminds you Wow, that was a quick ending. Five minutes, I landed that plane really, really fast. Where did time go? Um, let's pray. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we do uh, see you in the text. And really, everything we talked about is not the primary things of this text. This text is to show us your son, Father, your son who came. Just like Elijah, to a broken, desperate, hopeless place, to come with the great news of good news of great joy, Jesus, you came to us and you said there is a new way. So I pray, whoever is sitting here, dealing with their own brooks of life, their own struggles and questions and messiness of life would you remind us through these stories, whether they're like Elijah or like this woman or like the child, that we would be able to see that you have not only been faithful, despite all that we're facing, you have not only been faithful, but you will continue to be faithful. So we trust you uh, in plenty, but also in need. We wait on you in plenty, but also in need. Lord, we pray against all their voices we pray against, even our own voices telling us to do this, to do that, to move on, to stay. And we want to hear from you, Lord. We thank you. We love you. Just send me, pray. Amen. All right, friends, we're going to time of communion. I want to invite